This is not another model on the delicious vinyl station powered by Dad. Another model we dashing on Dad. tuned in to Not Another Model. It is a platform that is on the Dash radio station and it is powered by the Delicious Vinyl Station. Today we have an incredible trailblazing innovator. His name is Jin Yu and he has amazing apps that he has developed and he is on the forefront of new technology. Hey Jin! <laughs> Hi Algo, how are you? Excellent. And you? How are you holding um, up with Corona? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's such a change. Like two weeks ago, we weren't even talking about it. And now there's a billion people in the world under quarantine. It's really crazy, right? It's, it's, it's a little crazy. We've never seen this before in our lives. We haven't. At least we're keeping the hope alive with this Rona. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to uh, stay busy, create content. Let's uh, keep hope and inspiration alive, just like you're doing. Exactly, and thank you so much for just bringing your light today. So my first question for you is where are you originally from? I'm, I was born in Daegu, Korea, South Korea. Wow, that's super awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love Korean spa, by the way, those are the best. <laughs> are you a fan of Korean food? Heck yeah, bulgogi, kimchi, everything. <laughs> I'm Man, actually. <laughs> yep, can't get enough. Oh, that is awesome. And what is the meaning of your name? Uh, my full name is Eugene Woo, and in Korea, back in the old days, uh, we grew a lot of rice, so everything was all about farming, and it means plentiful uh, precipitation. That is such an amazing name, man. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, my next question for you is, what app did you develop that people would most recognize themselves with or recognize on, on app stores? <laughs> so, um, I was a co-founder of two app companies and I sit on the boards um, of several other companies, but the first one was called Circus. Um, it was a nightclub app that sent models to parties. Um, and then also music video directors could use it to cast videos, uh, you could cast extras for a movie. And when I joined, I said, wow, this is a cool, interesting app, but why don't we scale this into something bigger? Why don't we get psychographic, psychometric information about people, collect a lot more data points than 30 data points about their physical, um, but let's get their psychographic info, right? And now we can get bigger clients like Coca-Cola or Gillette or Red Bull and do big activations. Um, and from a million dollar market cap company, why don't we shoot for the stars and become a billion dollar company? And as of this summer, this past summer, uh, our most recent valuation was $250 million after about uh, four years of uh, being in business. Congratulations. Quick question, what is psychometrics? Could you just explain that to maybe people who might not know who aren't familiar? <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's a, way of, um, it's a way of gathering contextual data about your psycho, uh, I wanna say psychographic, about your psychological data, like who you are as a person. Um, so let's say that you're an app, it would be really interesting to know uh, your customer's age, how much are they uh, willing to spend, what is an aspirational fashion label for them? What do, where do they typically shop? Uh, where do they wanna shop in 10 years? So you wanna collect as much information so you can do predictive analysis on how to target them for, um, for ads and, and I don't know, just to, just to match them up with the products and services that you're selling to them. That's pretty awesome. I've actually used your app before just for fun, Circus, and it's almost like a real model casting. It's really cool. You have <laughs> your pictures and you kind of get placed with a party that you would actually end up going to naturally. I think it's a really cool, innovative way. And I was like, oh, I need gas money for my castings tomorrow. I think it's <laughs> really awesome for the same 
interesting, cool things that you saw about it. I also felt using the app. I was like, oh, I have gas money tomorrow and I can actually do both things at the same time. I can make money and I can also party. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of uh, millennials want that. They want to go out, but they still need to, you know, figure out a way to pay rent. So why not um, get the best of both worlds? And then for the brands, they want good targeting. So, you know, we have data. Why don't they just target the exact people that they want? Wow, that's really cool. Speaking of millennials, this will be the second stock market crash that we've had. What are your thoughts on this stock market crash in the midst of Rona? So, um, wow. I mean, that's, there's so much to say <laughs> about that. I mean, we've had, this isn't just the second stock market. You mean second stock market in your life, is that correct? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm on the cusp of Gen Z slash millennials. So yeah, Got but it. looking at it, you Got know, it. had over 750,000 people like per week or something losing jobs and things like that in the first stock market crash when Obama got elected. And now we're here with Trump, which we won't get into all of that. This is a fashion show. Sure. <laughs> but right. I want to just kind of pick your brain because you are such an intelligent person and you're a force <laughs> to reckon with. So any advice you have on surviving this second stock market crash would be really So, um, you know, I'm not really a stock market guy, but I can speak a little bit to it. Um, and anything I say here, I just want to preface with the fact that I am not an investor in that sense, nor am I a licensed advisor, um, none of that. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, if you can just preface that for anybody that's that's like listening. But, you know, we've had dozens and dozens of um, crashes in this, uh, the last century, right? And the most recent one you're referring to is 2008. That one wiped off $25 trillion off the face of the planet. Um, I mean, it was, it was devastating. Banks like Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, billion dollar global market cap companies disappeared overnight. It was absolutely frightening. Um, we're kind of going through a meltdown right now. This is a lot bigger. Um, you know, we've, we, we were already dealing with a stock market bubble in the bond market, stock market, techs, um, technology, and real estate. And then now with the pandemic, this is completely something that was unpredictable. Uh, this could be bigger than anything. Um, you know, and not to just bum people out, but how honest can I, can I be honest here on the, on the show? Of course, please. We don't have any sponsorship. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues with the global economy and the stocks. We're, you know, as a world, we're 250 trillion in global debt right now. Uh, that's mortgages, credit cards, debts, business loans, government debt. Um, and most of the banks own all this debt. It's almost hard to imagine how that would ever get paid for, period. And now dealing with the pandemic that's grinding our economy to a halt, that's like a, a big issue. Um, so we're kind of looking at defaults from consumers, businesses, governments. Um, tourism alone make up like 10% of the global GDP. That's hotels, airlines, cruises, all that. That is completely shut down and you're seeing the effects of that already. We're in the middle of like an oil crisis with Russia, Saudi Arabia, so oil prices have crashed. Retail is like out the door. Um, there's a lot of issues. So with that said, how do you survive a stock market crash? That's kind of like what you're asking me. In 2008, everything crashed. So what we noticed was um, the price of gold spiked up. When the stocks go down, things like um, gold is a good safe haven. Same with silver. Right after 2008, Bitcoin was introduced and Bitcoin was like nothing. And then as of two years ago, it went from zero to 20,000 per Bitcoin. It was astronomical. Um, I'm not saying invest in gold, silver or Bitcoin, none of that. But we do know that if the stocks go down, something else might go up. Um, you know, I might, I might take a look at uh, companies that do a little bit of everything and that will survive no matter what. Like, like Google, the parent company app Alphabet that owns Google. They're, gonna, they're in uh, robotics, they're in AI. Apple, 
Facebook, these companies have billions of dollars of cash. You could see them surviving anything. I might look at them. Uh, you've got pharmaceutical companies that make drugs. Um, we're about, the whole world is gonna get vaccinated after this, if, uh, if you and I can kind of predict correctly. So pharmaceutical companies are probably gonna survive this, whether it's Merck or Pfizer or Amgen, people that make, make that, like they're probably gonna do pretty well. Um, medical supply companies, you've got 3M that makes like those masks. You know, no matter how. <laughs> N95, that? I said I have one, the N95. <laughs> yeah, that's a popular one. But <laughs> no matter what the economy looks like, we're always gonna need medical supplies. Mm -hmm. So you might look at Medtronic, the biggest medical supply company in the world. Johnson & Johnson, GE, Abbott Labs, Philips, Siemens, things like that. Um, robotics aren't gonna go away. iRobot, Boston Dynamics, Boeing, Raytheon. And Boeing and Raytheon are also military contractors. So even if our economy tanks, we will always have money for the military. And that's what's gonna protect our country. That's asset number one. So I might invest in like military to like kind of, I don't know, hedge, hedge my bets. And then, um, I don't know if I'm blabbering too long, but <laughs> I, would look at, I would look at Berkshire Hathaway, which is owned by Warren Buffett. He's the greatest investor of our time. Uh, do you know Warren Buffett? I do know Warren Buffett. <laughs> right. So I would I would think about like what is he investing in? He loves Apple. He thinks Apple's the greatest company in the world. And Apple is worth over a trillion dollars in market cap. And yeah, they may not sell a lot more iPhones, but when you have that much cash, you have the ability to pivot. So that's interesting. That's um, super cool. Well, some I certain banks are gonna fail, certain banks are gonna thrive. Bank of America is down 50%. Are they gonna go away? Uh, maybe not, so maybe now's a good time to buy. Um, you know, maybe there's some airline stocks. Like, I know uh, Warren Buffett owns Southwest Airlines. They're down like 40%. So I would probably keep an eye on that. Not every airline can go bankrupt. Many will, some will, but not all, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you look at Amazon, they're also a trillion dollar company, right? Um, and although you think, oh, they just sell, you know, retail goods and undercut companies like Target, their main business is a Amazon cloud servers for tech companies. And so they made $8 billion last year selling cloud services to tech companies. That represents like three-fourths of all of the revenue. Amazon is going to make it out of this. So I would try to figure out how low that stock is gonna go on Amazon and then swoop in and buy as much as I could. It's always about buying on the dip. That's what an investor says. Mm -hmm. And again, I am not a stockbroker or, I don't know anything about stocks. So I'm just kind of talking to you as a friend. Oh. Uh, but Amazon probably looks pretty interesting. And then finally, um, you know, like we're doing right now, you and I are on Zoom. Zoom is a company whose stock is probably gonna skyrocket because everyone's gonna start doing remote working. So who else are the remote working companies? You know, you've got Microsoft, you've got um, Adobe, DocuSign, Citrix, anybody that does remote working, maybe like Slack, um, you know, and then there's startups uh, that, you know, they, they kind of, they're not coming to my head, but remote working companies that I'd say are interesting. That was probably the longest answer ever, and I apologize. Oh, please don't apologize. I love it. Actually, the radio show is a whole hour, and we have a music break, so I really appreciate you just taking the time out to share this knowledge, because a lot of people don't know. You know, we don't always get to rub shoulders with people who can educate us on those specific things, so please do not apologize at all. <laughs> models. models are always in front of the camera, and we kind of get the opportunity to rub shoulders, but sometimes we just get looked at. So this is sure. really, really incredibly like valuable. All right, moving on to the next question. I wanted to ask you, what is it like with your other company? Because you have a music royalty marketing company called Best, and what is an ISO? Because I think that's really interesting. <laughs> sure. So. Um... Vest is the company that I'm at day to day as a chief growth officer. That's 100% of my focus. Circus, I'm the co-founder of, but I'm no longer day to day at Circus. Mm -hmm. A lot of our sales are automated, so I'm, I was able to step away with some of the team 
and build something interesting uh, with the blockchain, the technology that powers Bitcoin. So we took that technology blockchain and we created the world's first blockchain music royalty marketplace app. And that's a mouthful. What that means is um, a fan could download our app and buy fractional ownership of any song from any artist. And then they can earn a royalty dividend along with that artist. So it's kind of like you're investing in your favorite music. Um, an ISO is called an initial song offering, kind of like an IPO in the stock yeah. market. Yeah. ISO, kind of a play on words. So when we launch a new song, it's called an initial song offering. Um, last last summer, we, we took a song called I've Been On by Beyonce. It was um, a song on her, on her Netflix documentary. Uh, what, what was that called, her documentary? Homecoming, so sorry about that. So we sold, I think, 4% of the ownership of that song for $50,000, and in four days it was sold out. And all the people that bought as little as $5 worth, they're collecting a proportional, fractional percent of that uh, revenue uh, for the success of the song, if there is any. Wow, that is really cool. And how did you come to this? Because I know BMI as well as ASCAP are kind of royalty options for actual artists and stuff like that. Was there some kind of eureka moment for you in discovering this and your team? <laughs> so I'm more of a marketing growth hacker and that's where my expertise is. Um, it wasn't my idea. The idea was our co-founder, Steve Stewart. He managed a band called Stone Temple Pilots back in the 90s. He, they did over a billion dollars in sales globally in all verticals. Um, so he knew everything about the music industry. And then he was our head of music at Circus. And at Circus, this is where he kind of brainstormed this idea and said, I've always wanted to do a music market. Then when we saw what blockchain and Bitcoin did, we said, here's a huge opportunity to fractionalize music um, music ownership and sell it fractionally to billions of people around the world and finance music projects, potentially. Oh, wow. Now, backpedaling just a little bit, I didn't get to go over your education or, you know, lack of, or which is cool because there's lots of billionaires who never went to college, you know what I mean? So just tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got to work for some of these awesome companies and co-found and just be such a great creative force in this world. <laughs> wow, thanks for the kind words. Um, so <clears throat> I went to the University of Minnesota here in Twin Cities. Um, but I dropped out after my second year. Um, I, you know, when I did, I thought, man, I'm such a failure. I'm an Asian kid. My, my parents wanted me to be a doctor, engineer, lawyer, like the whole typical expectation. But, you know, as dumb as I thought I was, looking back, it was just because school was so slow. It completely bored me um, and it just stifled all creativity. And yeah, so I just kind of was lost for a lot of years. Um, saved up a little money. I moved to LA. I was completely broke, practically homeless. I got a job in hospitality. I was um, a host at a restaurant making $8 an hour. People would tip me. At the end of the day, I'd have like seven bucks to my name in tips. Um, but at that job, it was uh, it, it was called Crustacean in Beverly Hills. Uh, I worked for Elizabeth Ahn. <laughs> yeah. So they promoted me to a very low level paying uh, floor manager and I got to meet a lot of interesting celebrities and business people that was a great experience then uh, about a year later I got a job at Mastro's which is um, one of the most influential restaurants in Beverly Hills to this day it is. but back then oh my god it, every table was a captain of industry Rupert Murdoch Sumner Redstone Bill Gates Bill Clinton I mean it was everybody everybody went through there and I rose up the ranks to uh, to lead the management team at uh, Mastro's. I mean, we did close to 20 million in revenue by 2005, if you can believe that for a restaurant. But the biggest valuable takeaway was I met some of the most intriguing people ever. And some of these people let me sit on their tables and I just listened. And I collected and I curated stories. I curated uh, personality traits. I watched the way that people pitched. 
the way that they closed, the way that they built rapport, just their, their influence. And I absorbed as much as I could. And from that experience, I launched um, an experiential um, event agency. And so for the next decade, I threw ex uh, celebrity experiential events. And from there, I got hired by Circus to do events with them and working with them so closely, they loved my ideas about integrating technology into experiential and my experiential clients. And that transformed the Circus uh, business model completely. They made me a co-founder. That is Two year, amazing. Three years later, uh, then we launched Best. And then in between, I had a couple other companies reach out and ask me if I'd be, if I would join their companies as an advisory board member in exchange for equity, uh, sometimes retainer uh, to join meetings and help strategize and, and help with the marketing initiatives. Isn't it wonderful how life can just become a degree and you can find those natural talents and things that exist within? It's absolutely amazing that you got to drop out of school because then we wouldn't get to see this person who developed today. <laughs> Sometimes parents- my life, would be, my life would be completely different if I was 18 years old today, in a sense, because everything that you want to learn, you can learn on YouTube. You can go as fast as you want. In fact, I think there's thousands of classes that every university in the world offers for free. And basically, I would figure out exactly what I wanted to do in life and just ingest knowledge 24 seven without paying a dime or going to school. And I could literally learn 24 seven if I wanted for free. I mean, it's a beautiful time. The resources are endless today. I would agree with you on that because that was one of the contributing factors, I think, for older millennials was the college debt and the fact that you couldn't really establish credit because of all of the, the real estate problems that came about in 2008. So now it's great to see that we've actually made progress in that particular area where people can actually just go online and find things for free. Actually, when I hear people talk about going to four-year colleges, I'm like, maybe you might want to try something like Europe and do a gap year or something and discover yourself after, you know, living with your parents for so long. You know, get yourself out there and get some freedom for a year, travel a little bit. Especially American kids, especially in, you know, places that are not necessarily Los Angeles, where there are even a limited amount of resources in middle America, those places I think definitely would benefit from a gap year. Even when I travel myself outside of Los Angeles and I go to other areas, I'm like, wow, you know, people don't speak other languages. They don't, you know, they don't even eat other types of cuisine. And we have all of those different options here in Los Angeles. I think sometimes we take it for granted a little bit in the Los Angeles and New York, as well as the Florida market because we're metropolitan places. So it's just great to hear you say these things and hopefully it touches 18 year olds and stuff when they tune into the radio show. <laughs> but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So speaking of that, I wanted to do another pivot back onto the blockchain part as well as the vest and, and just explain blockchain because I saw recently a blockchain for babies book and I thought it was genius. <laughs> <laughs> so blockchain is, um, is gonna revolutionize so many things and that's what attracted me most to the best project I think um, you know transparency immutability these are the attributes of a blockchain it's gonna transform government uh, encrypted government voting hospital healthcare records banking supply chain management provenance and collectible art um, you know gosh I mean there's so many things that's gonna revolutionize and to answer your question, what blockchain is, is a way of storing information. So currently, if you go to Wells Fargo, if you shop on Amazon, if, you're, if you go on Instagram, everything is stored on a central server. It's, it's a big server with all these computers attached to it, but it's a basically a central server. And if you have a central server, you have a central target. And a ha once a hacker gets in, the hacker can steal everything. And currently, banks have been hacked. We've lost, my God, billions of dollars. Uh, a couple of years ago, Equifax lost 200 million social security addresses, right? Remember that, yeah. So, yeah, so obviously central ser centralized servers are not 
um, the best way to protect your information. A blockchain in the last 10 years has never been hacked. In fact, the strength of a blockchain is equal to 500 of the world's top supercomputers times 10,000. So what a blockchain is, is it's basically a, like a bunch of computers, hundreds of thousands, even millions of computers, all connected. And if I wanted to steal Algo's information and all your money, all I'd have to do in the blockchain is hack one of those computers, try to steal your money, and that, that server would say, oh, okay, hold on, let me give it to you, but let me check with all my other server friends. <laughs> and once it checked with all my server friends, they're like, no, you're being hacked, don't do it. It won't, it won't allow that transaction. Mm -hmm. So a blockchain simply can't be hacked because you'd have to hack all million servers simultaneously, and that's impossible currently. That's a lot to think about, actually, because I, I was told that all of the servers exist somewhere in China in like this huge in like this huge building or something like that, right? Am I off here? Well, the, those are Bitcoin miners, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of uh, mining equipment was there. There were some mining factories placed there, but then it, it kind of got banned. So they've moved to other places. And a Bitcoin miner is different. It's where you take a huge server farm with your with part of that blockchain, and you're solving equations to protect your block, the Bitcoin blockchain. And because you're allowing the use of your servers, you're getting rewarded in fractional pieces of Bitcoin. That's your reward for supporting the Bitcoin on your portion of the blockchain. I see. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like, let's say you build a house and instead of one foundation, you have a million people underneath your house holding it up. Yeah. And in, in, in exchange for them holding it, you're feeding them and giving them money. A fraction of it, like you were saying before. Exactly. In, in a sense, yeah. yeah. I don't <laughs> know if I did a good job explaining it. You did an incredible job, actually. And I appreciate oh. you saying that because a lot of people, we hear blockchain all the time, but again, with new things, we need to be educated as a people and constantly reminded of it because it is the future and the future does become <coughs> stable that if you're not on top of these things, then how can you <laughs> survive essentially on the algorithm? Correct. Yes. The, uh, the future is decentralized information storage. Um, centralized uh, servers is, is an antique, it's a relic. Um, and it's it doesn't work. So blockchain is the evolution. Okay, my next question for you, because this also is a fashion show, and I'd love that we're getting into the technology too part of it. Where do you think the future of fashion and tech will be going? Fashion and tech. Um, right now we're seeing a lot of fashion on the blockchain. So, there are some green fashion designers and green companies, and they want to know that fashion is ethically sourced. Yeah. So if you have um, leather, where did it come from? A blockchain can track every stop along the way, including where it was sourced, to make sure it's an ethical piece of leather. Um, if you got a new fabric, a new velour, did it come from a place where there's humanitarian abuse? or did it come from a place where they give people living wages? So this is a, this is a great way of fashion and, and technology. And there's probably a million other use cases, but I, I can't really think of that right now. Yes, and we've kind of brought on people. We had Takako Saito, she is from Japan, and she came onto the show and she and I threw this really cool fashion ethic event. It was really an ethically fun thing. We got to sing, we got to dance, and sell sourced items. And she's a really popular pattern maker. And it was just cool to educate our audience about pattern making because people don't even know what pattern making is, which is the original sample sure. that you get. And then you make it and that, that one pattern slash sample goes onto all of these bodies pretty much. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. I wanted to ask you what piece of advice you have for anyone who is trying to monetize off of their music in 2020, as well as the future, and uh, how they can find you 
in uh, the the virtual world? <laughs> well, they could add me on Instagram. It's um, at J I N W O O Y U. Um, if they want to monetize their music, uh, they can reach out to Vest. They can reach out to me. We can talk about putting their music on our platform. But I'd say the most important thing is musicians can't just be musicians anymore. They have to act like a publisher. They have to act like a label. They have to act like a social media agency and a digital marketing agency. They have to learn all aspects of it. I, I met an Uber driver about a year ago and he was um, a touring drummer with three professional bands, like well-known bands, but he drives Uber in the middle. And he asked me, hey, you know, I know you're speaking about music and blockchain. Do you think it's important for me to have Instagram? And I said, what? Like, why don't you have Instagram? And he said, oh, well, I'm, I'm a world-class drummer and that's, I think that should be enough. I go, wow, well, first of all, I don't use the word should. Uh, there are no shoulds in my world, you know? You have to make everything happen. And that's how I see it. Yeah. But yeah, you, sh you should just be a great drummer and make millions of dollars, but life doesn't work like that. You gotta market yourself. You gotta put yourself out there. And then he said, yeah, it just annoys me. There's this 15 year old kid on YouTube. He's a drummer. He's making millions of dollars a year and he's not even nearly as good as me. And I said, okay, that's good. But because he's not as good as you, would you advise this kid to quit doing what he's doing? And he's like, no, never. Exactly. Well, why so say instead that? of Curtis, what's that? <laughs> I said, so why say that in the first place? <laughs> That's right. You didn't really think out through. Like, you don't want him, that little kid, to quit. In fact, you should look up to him. He's making millions of dollars doing what he loves. You should do. You should do that instead of him. You know, doing less of that. I mean, the kid not doing that. You should start your own channel and build your own community and maybe teach and inspire people how to drum. And now all of a sudden you could have another revenue stream. So yeah, I want musicians to take control of their careers. Uh, people think that getting signed to a music label is the be all end all, but Chance the Rapper won a Grammy without a, a label. And if he can do it, it's mathematically possible that you could do it too. Oh yes, indeed. I would 150% agree with that. Allocating a budget aside for just a little bit of Facebook promotion. We learned that from the creative director of K-Swiss um, who came on Santi Fox. He was like, if you took some money and put it towards your Facebook, you know, you could actually make money off of that because you're now getting impressions onto your Instagram and things kind of start to move together and you're seeing a lot of apps that are kind of if this app is over here then they're they're connecting you to another app and so it's kind of like a domino effect and it all comes back around to you and generating actual money i mean is it possible to do everything maybe not i mean maybe it might be okay to maybe hire like a social media director who could probably help you with that or something with a few extra posts a month or something you know it's just about yeah. allocating your money in the right place but the most important thing you said is that we can do it on our own and the chance to be able to generate an income doing what you love is probably the most prevalent today than it has ever been in u.s history <laughs> You know, you've got so many tools that are absolutely free. You've got every tool at your disposal and there's no excuse not to master all these tools to give yourself the best opportunity for exposure and success as possible. You know, like I talk to musicians all the time because they're, you know, attractive, they're charismatic, they're shine brightly shining stars, they attract a lot of people. They meet a lot of people everywhere they go. And I ask them, you know, like, how are you tracking your contacts? How do you stay in touch with them? Oh, and they're like, oh, I put them in my phone. And, you know, sometimes I use a spreadsheet. And I'm like, why don't you use a CRM? And, you know, if you ask musicians, like, what a CRM is, oh my God, 99 times out of 100, they've never heard of a CRM. In fact, I wanna ask you, do you use a CRM? I do not use a CRM, but I've heard of it. And I, I'm really, I was just a full-time model and uh, I didn't have to think about those things because I had a whole team of people working for me. And I, I did see where I made a lot of money, like through a fashion agency, 
Um, but now I'm doing radio, so I'm learning all these different things. I've been to your panel and it's been amazing. One of the panels that you've curated about the music industry and it was incredibly helpful. So yeah, I've heard of CRM through your Can panel. Can I explain? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd love to explain what CRM is because this will change the lives of every young person possibly listening. CRM is customer relationship management software. And basically, um, when you, if you're a model or you're a radio host or a musician, you go out and about, you attract a lot of people, you collect a million business cards, and over the course of a year, maybe you, you reach out to uh, 1%, 10% of them, 20% of them, but not nearly all of them. And then you, you don't know when to follow up. And it, all of a sudden, between your work, your craft, trying to follow up, you get overwhelmed. A CRM, like Notion, which is free, um, you could literally sign up for Notion right now, put all of your contacts in there, and then you write notes next to uh, that contact. You can schedule emails, you can schedule calls, texts. Um, when it's their birthday, you can, you can send um, a, a birthday message six months in advance, which will fire it for you. And then when they respond, it'll send an automatic message back. And you can do like these drip campaigns of communication, not just with businesses for sales, but do it just to maintain contact every month. Like, hey, Algo, how's it going? How's your radio show? Maybe I'll just schedule that and it won't even be me, but maybe I'll do that with thousands of people. Instead of talking to super connectors like you, every day, maybe I should talk to a hundred of you every day and increase my chances of success by a hundred. But you've got to organize your contacts and your communication. Do it through software. Do it through CRM. That's really awesome. You know what? And it reminds me, somebody has been doing that. They taught me how to do it through LinkedIn, where you kind of sift through the LinkedIn account, you pay for it, and then it automatically reaches out to people that would fit your business profile that could help get sponsorships. So thank you for breaking that down because it's like, again, the more you hear about it, the more people get to hear the experience of it, the better off we are <laughs> as a whole, so. Absolutely. And then what you're describing in LinkedIn, that's more of a digital marketing tool that they have. I'm describing CRM, which is just organizing your database. And then, you know, it's, it's almost like using AI to communicate for you. That is really cool. And it's more personalized, it sounds like. LinkedIn is trying to meet new people. <laughs> They're, it's separate things. You, you use them together. Oh, that's super cool. My last question of the evening is, what is one survival tactic you've been using on the algorithm at home for the coronavirus? Like, is it a remedy that you've been making? How have you been surviving this whole entire experience? Physically or mentally? Well, both. Give it to us in both. <laughs> okay, so um, because we're in quarantine, we can't exercise enough. So I'm doing squats every hour and I'll do like 20 or 30 of them. And every day my legs and my booty, like it just, like it does it for me. Um, I'll do sit-ups, I'll do push-ups, just because I'm not moving around as much as I should. Um, I'm eating fairly healthy. I'm at my parents' house in Minneapolis, so they're, they're feeding me pretty well but um, try not to overload on carbs. And then in terms of my psycho psychology, I'm doing a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of business on Zoom, catching up with a lot of friends, creating a lot of content. So in fact, the last 10 days have been busier than they've ever been in the past year. So it's been, I've been fortunate, I got lucky. Um, it's been super productive and, you know, it's not great, but I'm enjoying this time actually. That is absolutely amazing. Well, everyone can hear this conversation starting in two weeks because we have a couple of other shows that we have, but I will upload the live feed for everyone. Tune into the radio show on Monday, 8 to 9 p.m. PST on the delicious vinyl station powered by Dash. You're going to download the Dash radio app, and then you just type in delicious vinyl right at 8 p.m., and boom, not another model pops up. So with Jim's actual voice recording, we're going to add a cool mix because he is in music, if you know what I mean. 
Thank you so much, Jen. And I appreciate you for just taking the time out today to educate us on all of this wonderful knowledge. This is going to live on the Delicious Vinyl radio page, too, so you guys can live stream it anytime you want under Not Another Model. Thank you, everyone. And you know where to find Jin Yu at. It's at (laughs) J-I-N-W-O-O-Y-U. Awesome. Thank you, Algo. Survive on the algorithm and much love. Tell that whole Rona to go home, yo. Enjoy the algorithm music, babe. Pose it out, pieces. Pose it out.
Not another model on the delicious vinyl station powered by Dash.
Got another model on the delicious vinyl station, Car by Dash.